2: In Home Alone 3, the stakes are Alex, who's eight, has to protect a proprietary microchip from terrorists who would use it in a missile to evade radar detection, presumably to be able to kill a lot of people without an anti-aircraft ammunition system being able to take it down.
3: What the fuck? Hello and welcome to episode two of the worst idea of all time emergency season which uh, largely involves a global pandemic slash quarantine, and myself and my esteemed associate Tim Batt, um enjoying the wares of a group of collaborators from the year 1997 who worked on an art project named Home Alone 3, a film or piece, I suppose you could say, that we have both just uh, absorbed, consumed, inspected, admired for... The second time, it's 2.39 p.m. on a weekday afternoon. Tim, how do you do? Very cold, thank you, Guy. How about yourself? Yeah, it is. Um, it's not warm in the room moment either. I've had my little tootsies uh, unsheathed all day. Not a sock to be seen, but I did tuck them under a sort of a shawl-style woolen blanket. Um. For a lot of the film. I've since taken them back out. And I'm noticing it. I'm feeling it. So I'm probably actually even going to put those back in right now. Um, Capital idea, Monty. Where are you feeling it? Where? What, what extremities are, are cold on your end? I think the feet's
2: a good place to start. Even though I've been wearing shoes and socks all day. Mm. Um, still cold though. Very strange. Not here to talk about the fucking weather though. We're talking about the mixed media art project. That is Home Alone 3. Featuring... The hit from Cartoon Boyfriend, is it called My Town? What else would it
3: be called? This is my town. The oldest step I would if you come it. around. I don't think I know you. Well, maybe it's time to show you this is my home. I'll be standing here all alone. And if you're ready to see how, come on in and ring the bell.
2: Nice. Ring the Bell is what I would have called the song, rather than My Town. That's what I looked up. So, uh, everybody listening, there is a pop-punk song um, that's in the middle of the movie when little Alex Pruitt is setting his traps for, I think, round two of Bringing Uh, the Pain Against the Dastardly Bandit.
3: It's sort of, it's round one. I mean, it's confusing because they actually like the song so much they do use it twice in the same way... Another movie might do with a very expensive song they've got the rights to, so they just absolutely slam it home. They um, commissioned My Town by Cartoon, Cartoon Boyfriend. This song only exists on the Home Alone 3 Movie soundtrack. And, um, oh, because does- I was
2: looking for their debut and seemingly soul album, Nipples, and yeah. uh,
3: I couldn't see it on the track listing there. Wow, dude, if, if you're a member of Cartoon Boyfriend and you're listening along right now, you might want to plug your ears because, um, according to All Music reviewer Jason Anderson, their debut album, Nipples, is unfocused and banal. This debut release from Los Angeles rockers, Cartoon Boyfriend, reflects the group's diversity and eclectic influences, perhaps a little too well. The artwork oh. and titles present the group as a joke band, but in contrast with their campy packaging, many of the cuts on Nipples possess serious messages that conflict with Cartoon Boyfriends' overdone and sophomoric image, all of which leads to a sour listening experience. Um, two-star yeah. review. That one? Yeah. The the, the well, It's the, like a 3 to me. Why well, the final sentence is Finding the right quantities of pop ingredients however proves to be a complicated task for the trio of Tommy Tillman, Holly Wright and Boy. One of the band members' boy. names is not unlike Beyonce or Madonna. It's just Boy, spelt B-O-I. Three semi-talented wow. musicians whose lack of musical definition burdens the unstimulating nipples.
2: It's like the proto-state of fuckboy is just B-O-I. Absolutely. Before we had the fuckboy, before we had the 2000s, we simply had Boy member of Cartoon Boyfriend. And before Um, we had the gorillas, we had the concept of a cartoon band. Or like, not the concept, the wandering idea that someone said aloud.
3: But they they used the song once uh, while he's laying the traps and once more after the success of the traps. So it sort of bookends that quite uh, prolonged, um, you know, booby trap sequence. Yeah, it's called a montage, Guy. Look it up. No, the entirety of that is not a uh, montage. That's a that's a scene, you fucking egghead. You would not be up. able to... That's a montage. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't bookend a montage. You don't hear the oh, song okay, right. scored over a montage, and then at the end of the montage, when the next scene boots up, they just start the same song again. That would be I, chaos. This, this, this is a
2: testament to how much I was paying attention. I did not realize that song played twice in the movie. It's unmissable because I heard
3: it the first time. I was like, I remember this from our first screening (laughs) and it is just so of its time. I must know more. And I looked it up and then I was so excited to have the chance to sing along when it recurred for the second time. Speaking of music in the movie, Tim, I want to hark your mind back to an early phase of the film. It's after both of Alex's parents are seen on the phone, uh, his Mm -hmm. mother talking to her boss, his father talking to his boss while preparing dinner. Uh, thus bolstering you know the idea that this is a feminist text as as is, of wait, its release in 1997 and he's wearing this is hilarious that when the iconic
2: iconic line is delivered by alex's father i couldn't tell you how good the product is on the phone we have to meet yeah, to yeah I, I thought you'd have
3: some ideas about that do you think this is a man who is an over his head <laughs> you big time
2: I mean, even the most rudimentary salesman can attempt to talk up a product while on a tally conversation with someone. You can just,
3: begin the chat there. You are putting sake. yourself into such a weak position if, within a phone call in which you are essentially teasing the product that you are hoping to sell, you confess to the fact that a phone call simply is not enough, you know, face to face contact. I mean, you could sell anything over the phone. Like, it, there was an entire business Uh, there was an entire sales model phone sales it still exists to this day you wouldn't read about it
2: because that's a different kind of uh absorbing of information but telesales is still big
3: yeah but um at the end of the uh the, the the second phone call we then see alex walking up the stairs while scratching what he was soon discovered to be the chicken pox and they sort of plug in this absolutely insane instrumental, like generic, um, big pond garage band, sort of Getty images style, you know, just, I- I'm going to play it for you now. It's just remarkable. Are you picking that up?
2: Um, not really, and I, yeah. I uh, but you know, I think I I get the gist. It's
3: like it goes like this. It's, it's difficult because I'm uh talking to you through a microphone that is not the microphone I'm recording the podcast into. But it I goes understand. Like... It's like it belongs on America's Funniest Home Videos or something. It seems so yeah. out of place. It screams much more of TV show than feature film to me. And I suppose There's a
2: lot of very cheap tracks, cheap sounding yeah. tracks used in this. I movie, suppose
3: I... what it is all of this conversation is opening up for me is the idea that maybe for how much i enjoyed the movie last time i found less to occupy myself with this time i found it to be harder
2: look who's come crawling back to old correct timbo as they call them
3: (laughs) no one says that
2: was this movie made as a direct to video film, do you know?
3: Have you encountered that question on your travels? I've not I think no, if if only because the budget was somewhere in the family of thirty million and it made back roughly oh, wow. eighty?
2: Yeah. Thirty mil. You don't see any of that on screen, eh? Like, this is not a thirty million dollar looking picture. You can make uh, a fucking good ass action movie for 30 mil.
3: Yeah, it's true. It doesn't. Re- I mean, but they, they kind of do. Again, they do explore two different genres of cinema early on. Eventually, they fuse the two. But you can see some of the money coming out in that diehard style opening sequence, which sort of sets up the idea that this is a serious crime caper. And then, mm. obviously, we, we're transported back into the, the kid world of um, yeah. Alex. Suburbia. I, I, I felt like. The uh, money comes out also in that in that uh, booby trap sequence, which is really nicely teased. And I feel like the first time that this movie really says, "Hey, we're inside of the Home Alone franchise," is um, when it's uh, we see Alex feeding his fish with a Rube Goldberg machine he's built in his room. His, he's feeding his goldfish Speedy, and there is that sort of old style piano driven jazz sounding music beneath it. Um, yes, and that to me is I like. Even think- it's like bo- an old Bobby Darren track, or something that
2: sounds like it would be one. And mm. I feel like they use one that they actually used
3: in the first Home and Alone. It oh, does Home and Alone, <laughs> Home Alone. Home and Alone was the working title for the franchise. Of course, uh, they they realised not alone. long after they could take out the conjunction. Yeah, um, that to me feels like when we're actually inside of the Home Alone universe, and it it sort of does it does somewhat go downhill from there um before we i guess get mired into criticisms or gripes or you know conspiracy theories associated with the film tim i would love to know what your shining light was
2: i don't have a fucking shining light there's no shining light for this movie and i don't require one jesus christ Oh, i'll tell you what i left my bread in san francisco that's my shining light and i don't know if mrs hess said that as a reference to To the song, if you're going to San Francisco, but she says it in this whimsical way, and the movie puts like a highlighter over the top of the the line of dialogue. And I'm just wondering, what joke did I not get? What reference went over my head? What's happening here? It
3: sounds like a song title, and the thing is, I believe it to be the same number of syllables as if you're going to San Francisco. Because I also I wrote that line down because it is, it's like a Weird Al version of that song. Um, I left my...
2: It doesn't even no, work. I left it's,
3: it's, my bread
2: in San Francisco. Francisco.
3: It can work. It's also sort of bookended again. There are all sorts of little tie-ins in this movie. If you just look out for them at the end, when Alice Ribbons is tying up Mrs. H or Mrs. Hess, the elderly curmudgeonly neighbor, and says, I left my heart in San Francisco. Um... But I, I think that's uh it's a, you know, you say you don't have a shining light, and yet here we are having a lot of fun with the idea of uh, an elderly woman leaving a loaf of bread from a toy slash toy store slash bakery. So confused San by Francisco. that, we need
2: to drill into that. And what's it called again? It's got some weird Parisian
3: name. or Parisian.
2: Yeah, Parisian, the famous toy store slash bakery. What kind of a fucking business venture? I mean, admittedly, the sourdough appears to be so good that Mrs. Hess went across country just to get a loaf of it, taking a big old plane ride to get to San Francisco just to get a loaf of sourdough. Um, But, I mean, like, I guess there's something to it. dude. Parents love baked goods. Kids love toys. We'll put them under one roof. We can slam
3: the wallet twice. Take pod shots all you want, but we know from the airport scene when they are scouring the place to try and recover their lost toy car containing the important chip that Parisian is a very popular store. I mean, the number of bags from that franchise that they have to sift through and sort of very sneakily inspect tells me that at least in 1997, this was boon times for Parisian. um, i don't know that it's a real store i've looked up parisian general store and one of the top hits is a guide to paris supermarkets and food shopping so huh? what we need to do is take a screenshot of the logo and then reverse
2: google image search it and see what comes up um and i don't mean to be an asshole, but is is it pronounced parisian like the word because that's how i've always
3: like heard other people say it i think
2: but it is, Do you know
3: Is that incorrect? No, I, I this might be a word where both are correct. I really don't know. And it's one of those ones where I sort of liked the way that it felt to say Parisian. And so I just yeah. kept going. Even though it might be yeah, totally wrong, um, I can't even imagine being told that it's wrong. That would change the way I enjoy saying the word. I my my shining light, I'll, Tim. I'll back off. Is yeah, um is when we get a weather report from Mark. Uh, Makuso, who is a weatherman for a local cable news network or some sort of news show, and he's forecasting a snowstorm for Chicago, which is going to have you know various different ramifications for the plot of the film. But he's doing it from a sitting position behind a desk, and it's so rare in this modern era of newscasts to see a weather person being given the same respect and treatment as your anchors. For too long now, we have expected all of the ancillary presenters on the news to do it from their feet. I mean, you know, the weather person is arguably working as hard, if not harder, than the others. They are doing a lot of their own research. I believe that the anchors traditionally just have an army of news bots who provide them with an autocue to read. It was just a delight to see um, some of that hard work recognized and to see my boy Mark telling it how it is from behind a news desk, and not even really getting up to walk us around the map physically, but just sort of vaguely gesturing at it and saying, yeah, it's going to be fucking snowing. It's Chicago in the winter. What do you expect?
2: Yeah, allow me to take a seat while I tell you, for this is the position in life I have earned. The only person you would expect to have on the 6 o'clock news with a college degree, like, you know, pretty sure thing, would be the weather person.
3: Absolutely. Um, Hopefully a meteorology. Could I ask you, Tim, could you please rank for me uh, or give me your power rankings on news presenters in studio? So from top to bottom. Who's- sports is the bottom.
2: They are sleeping with the dogs and waking up with fleas because they are low down in the list. Um. Then now, is this how it should be or how it is? is this is how it should that be. one is one and the same. Okay. How it should be. Well, I uh, keep my sports presenter firmly at the bottom of the pile. Um, I'm going to put... I don't know how many roles there are apart from the anchor and
3: the weather presenter. Is there anyone else there? No, there's not. It's only four people in the studio. There are two anchors.
2: I'm going to put the anchor in the middle and the weather presenter up top, giving me relevant information. Everything else you're telling me has happened and can have no effect on my life because you're reporting on events that are cast in iron however the weather presenter is giving me a statistical probability of how my day will go tomorrow which will influence my actions why are we relegating this person to some sort of glorified model in front of a cgi map you know they're always treated with disdain we get the morning television show where the person to fly out to parts unknown getting up before anyone else in the morning to have to attend a library opening in a city with a population of 280 people i mean it's got nothing to do with the weather why there's a trained meteorologist if if you've got the right team what are they doing at this ribbon ceremony
3: My place there. I couldn't agree more. And you could also make an argument that news broadcasts understand the value and draw of the weather because they always tuck it away at the end. You know, you've spent a lot of time in radio production. You know the value of a tease. The entire news broadcast, they're going, and stick around. We've got weather coming up just around the corner. Mm. It's time for weather. Hey, don't go anywhere. You're going to find out about that weather. They're all stuffed away back there without any respect, you know. Are they meant to be on their pins for 55 minutes before they get to tell everyone what they're literally watching the broadcast for? This reminds
2: me of an old saying, which is you don't sell the... Wait, what is it? You don't sell the cow or else no one will buy the milk. You know, if they give away the weather at the start of the news broadcast, everyone's going to fuck off and tank your ratings. So the anchors know what they're up to, but I'm willing to bet that they unjustifiably get paid way more than weather presenters. And I think that's an atrocity. Maybe we should start a change.org
3: Yeah, I guess that's because the theory would be that the impact on the personal lives of the anchors is greater Because they're featured more prominently on the newscast But it's kind of of bullshit
2: By that reckoning, we should be paying the subject of the news items a lot more money than anyone else For they are the most impacted You're telling me that COVID-19 should be a very rich virus Ah, uh, no, we are talking about human beings And I can't believe you would open up such a booby trap for yourself I'm not going to wander in though Because you're not going to take me down with you Which is what I feel like will happen without a third party To um, officiate this conversation about your dastardly views on COVID I'm against it and
3: I will fucking keep not helping what on what people about have been saying Until the cows come home People aren't listening to the words I'm saying I uh, Coming in Can in, I tell you something? Yeah
2: We need to consider the stakes of Home Alone 3 versus Home Alone 1 and 2, because I think this is um, subconsciously the thing that turned me off to this movie so much, and that hasn't changed by the way, I fucking hated watching it today, it's a bad movie, absolutely hate it, Um, and the franchise, like if you, I'll just say the first two movies, because apparently there's five of these in total now, uh, the first two movies are good, and the rest is to be ignored.
3: Um, Are they canon? Is this canon?
2: Uh well yeah it's canon but like what does that even mean in the Home Alone universe because it seems the movies just follow a kid. who gets uh, left I mean home to, in for your in your eyes of time.
3: you're an outspoken cricket of cr- cricket and critic of Home Alone three. Um do you I keep do, chirping on about it? Yeah that's right. To no one do you think that this belongs in the same conversation?
2: No it doesn't. Um, that's why we're having a whole other conversation just about Home Alone 3 but I'll bring Home Alone 1 and 2 into it but it wouldn't work the other way Um, Home Alone 1 and 2 the stakes are that Kevin McAllister must outwit the wet bandits who are trying to break into suburban houses to steal some valuables they're petty thieves they're cat burglars of a sort but they're pretty unskilled at it and in Home Alone 3 the stakes are that Alex, who's eight, has to protect a proprietary microchip from terrorists who would use it in a missile to evade radar detection, presumably to be able to kill a lot of people without an anti-aircraft ammunition system being able to take it down. What the fuck?
3: Yeah. I mean, go big or go home, really, though. It's... uh... You got to respect the fact that the franchise has left itself room to grow from the first two films because you couldn't you couldn't have you couldn't reverse the order you couldn't have the second film being Macaulay Culkin dealing with you know uh, a high powered crime organisation who are smuggling a, a missile cloaking computer chip you know on behalf of a different crime body like we've got to remember that these four villains these are they're middlemen.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to. So that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp H E L P dot slash all time. <laughs> do you think that based on this trajectory Home Alone five
2: is basically um like an Avengers movie? I see like, no. Do you think it's I Kevin no McAllister it versus Thanos? <laughs> That would be just gotta prevent Thanos from assembling the the gauntlet um, with all the Infinity right. Stones and
3: snapping half of existence. Wouldn't into you, Oblivion. Wouldn't you watch that though? And also, I mean, why are Marvel sleeping on this? That's a crossover that would fucking rake in the cash. You know, put all of the <laughs> that would be put all of so, the Avengers movies and both home both the first Home Alones into a bot. You know, a script generator, and just make yeah. whatever it spits out. This is so relevant to
2: what I've been doing the last couple days because I treated myself to a little computer game. I bought um, Injustice 2, which is a DC Universe, like, it's really fucking cool, too. It's all, like, based on the storyline where in Injustice 1, Superman went ballistic because the Joker killed Lois Lane, who was pregnant with his child, and Superman started killing people, starting with the Joker. So then Batman had to lock him up. And so, like, Superman is a baddie now. It's fucking sick. But I bought the game while it was 70% off on Steam for like eight bucks because you could play as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this isn't a game with like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman swap thing. And I was like, this is the silliest shit. This is going to be so good. And then I fucking bought the game, downloaded the game, played the game. And to get the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a playable character or any kind of visible content in the game, I got to shell out 20 bucks. Ah. To buy the downloadable turtle content.
3: They, they got you by the short and curlies.
2: I am so livid because I specifically bought the game because I thought the concept of like Superman versus the turtles is so silly and it, I just so badly want to play it. Uh, That scenario out But I'm not willing I'm willing to pay $8 for it
3: I'm not willing to pay $28 for it Uh, You wait until two hours from now When your bloody eyeballs are rolling Into the back of your heads And all you want to do is You know Explore two different universes at once In this economy I don't think so They're dreaming yeah, it's it's fair enough too. Um should we drive the conversation back to Home Alone 3? A movie which you are on the record as not enjoying twice now and one that mm-hmm. I did enjoy once and enjoyed less the second time. That's not to say I didn't like it. It does feel much more formulaic once you know where it's all going. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? I yeah, watching it today I was like, "Oh, like they just hammer home the same story beats three times in a row at the beginning. They're like, "He's at the house." No one believes that there are baddies in the neighborhood, but he knows. And then eventually it reaches a point where it's like just him versus the baddies. That is a very short story that they have stretched out to an hour and 40 something minutes. Um, Yeah. But I don't know. Within it, uh, there's like, I think Mrs. Hess is doing quite a lot of hard work, the actor and the character. I felt like this sort of curmudgeonly older neighbor who it's insinuated pretty, pretty heavily is a, a big-time retired daytime drinker and smoker. We see her fixing a an iced tea, a long island iced tea for herself at about what seems to be 10.30 in the morning. She's uh, smoking cigarettes in her own home, which I respect, you know. Yeah, if- she's fucking earned it.
2: If she's reached the age of retirement, put your feet up, make yourself a fucking dark and stormy, whatever. Have she it.
3: knows what she wants, she knows what she needs, and she's not afraid to ask for it, which means that in the eyes of the people around her and certainly the neighborhood, she can be a bit of a weapon and a sort of someone who others are fearful of. But when you open her up, you know, she is sweet as a nut. By the end of the film, mm. when it turns out Alex has been telling the truth and has done a fantastic job of. Capturing four highly trained criminals Mrs. Hess is over And they're all sort of breaking bread And having a laugh And he's, he's freed her Like she was kidnapped In essence And mm. strapped down to a chair And he, he's responsible for her surviving um, And so early on She coins the phrase I left my bread in San Francisco Later on uh, They're all talking about the chicken pox As though the movie itself Forgot that Alex had the chicken pox And that was an important vehicle For storytelling within it So we better <laughs> You know Slap a conversation about it on at the end and uh, right. I say, have you had the chicken pox, Mrs. Hess? And then she absolutely cuts everyone in the dining hall to ribbons by saying, I had the chicken pox when Herbert Hoover was in the White House, <laughs> which, I mean, even within the context, is not a very funny sentence, but fuck, I'll be damned. It kills in the room, eh? She murders yeah, if, at the Pruitt household. If it doesn't represent uh, sort of, you know, a, a new direction for the relationship between Mrs. Hess and the, the Pruitts. Do you get the sense that Mrs. Hess was going out to a date at
2: one point in the movie as well? Because when she's very perturbed that she's got to stick around and watch young Alex because um, everyone's got jobs and needs to leave the house, she's like, oh, like I don't have somewhere to go. Mm. So just, I, I don't know why, but I always read that as um, Mrs. Hess is uh, trying to go catch dicks. Uh,
3: yeah, I can sort of see it. Um, she is, she's like, really taking care of herself and you know there's no reason to think that anyone in this movie who is of age isn't when they're not on screen actively pursuing a fulfilling and well-rounded sex life um you know it yeah i i i didn't pick up on that but i can i can see it You know, maybe part of the reason that she's so relaxed at the tail end of the film is that somewhere between being tied up and catching up with the Pruitt family, she has been absolutely railed. Or maybe even herself, she's put on some sort of strap-on and just pegged the living shit out of someone else in the neighborhood. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know...
2: That's Literally, the kind of shit that goes down um, behind closed suburban doors that no one talks about. Absolutely. And
3: these sort of uh, upper middle class cul-de-sacs of the Chicago and suburbs, you know, there's a reason that these streets are sort of hidden away from your main arteries and that there's so much space between the houses because, you know, I think we're all discovering at this point that, Noise is privacy, like, you know, a, a lack of sound is what represents privacy. If you can hear what's happening in the room next door, in the house next door, in the house above you, that is a huge sacrifice of privacy. And these big sort of old Victorian Tudor style houses, while they might not be insulated or the windows might not be double glazed, so a few little peeps and murmurs are going to creep out into the um, outside world, people are doing all sorts of absolutely like gnarly shit. Mm, um yeah. and there's no reason to think that Mrs. Hess isn't isn't one of those people. Sure, I'd love to hear that.
2: Um speaking of actually, while we're on sort of a sexual bent, do you get the sense based on this movie that John Hughes is an ass man? Because there is a lot of attention paid and jokes made um with the focus of asses in this flick. Uh
3: uh, interesting. I, I I don't feel want like... want me to run you through?
2: I've got the evidence right here. Yeah, please. Scarlett Johansson's on the buttock region when they're asking about where Alex gets chickenpox. Um, Knock off fucking Dime Store Buzz, the brother of his, saying scar butt at the top. The dad not wearing pants. The suction cap sticking to the woman's butt on the exercise video on the TV. Burton Juergen. Am I saying that
3: right? Burton Jernigan. You've missed out. Jernigan. Thank you. You've missed out. Critical syllable. Probably the funniest syllable. Not in and of itself, but as an operating syllable in the bigger name. Can I also say, Burton Jernigan remains as a standalone name, the greatest comedy name in the history of cinema. But when there's a run on it together, when the FBI detective is saying who the criminals are, and at one point brackets Burton Jernigan and Alice Ribbons... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Double billing. That is a fantastic combo. Sorry, Tim, (laughs) as you were.
2: It's like a porno that was made
3: in Sweden, eh? Burton Jernigan. Those are the two leads. And Alice Ribbons. (laughs) Like, fuck me. What is it about those names? I cannot stop thinking about them. I walk around the house, you know, day after day, and just the echoes of Jernigan bouncing around my mind. I can't get the man out of me. Sorry, Tim,
2: as you were. He basically gets given arseless chaps because of the
3: electric chair that he sits in. He's the guy with the
2: piercing blue eyes who's super handsome, eh? Is that Burton Gennigan? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: He's this sort of, he presents as quite an intelligent and put together and buttoned-down operative. I looked him up, and I think he was in Twin Peaks.
2: He was in Twin Peaks something. I love that. I don't know if it was the, yeah, the series, the original series or what, Um, but... He like looks so out of place in this movie because he's obviously an incredibly capable and super handsome actor. And you're like, you should be a bad guy in the real movies, you know, like in
3: Die Hard, mm. not in the Die Hard portion of Home Alone 3. Mm. I just quickly want to say that those asses, while featured prominently, you know, and thank you very much for compiling such a comprehensive list I think welcome. that they are a testament to the tone of the film, less than um, John Hughes being an ass man, so to speak. More of an ass humorist. Like all of the <laughs> butt stuff is joke driven. It's 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 less sexy, and you know, I mean, yep. it's not a sexy fi- unless you look for it, like we appear to be willing to do in certain pockets and moments. <laughs> it's not yeah. a, it's not a sexy film. That's not to say um, that the people on camera lack sex appeal. It's just not the mm. the the focus or the you know it's not the modus operandi for Home Who's Alone. The 3. sexiest woman in this movie for you? Oh man, don't put me on the spot like that. Uh, and yet, if I you did. if you think about it long enough, it's Mrs. Hess. But on the first two, <laughs> at, at first blush, uh, my answer would have to remain. Um, What's her name again? Haviland Morris, Ka- uh, Karen Pruitt, Alex's mum. She uh, there's something yeah. there's something about her which I find very warm and welcoming. And um, as far as the the men go, I mean, it's got to be Burton Jernigan. Funny name, um, but there's nothing <laughs> funny about this guy's eyes. They are mm. the piercing blue of a snow leopard. And when he looks at you, he looks through you and into your like sort of most guarded and guttural and deeply held desires. Um, Would I like to see more screen time between Burton Jernigan and Mrs. Hess? You know, that's a question for another episode. But certainly if there is a deleted scenes or bonus features part of this where we we see the two of them just fucking railing each other, I wouldn't be upset. Send that on through. Send that on through to the boys.
2: You don't need to keep that to yourself. (laughs) You can share that one on with the boys. Don't
3: be a holdout. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> give the boys what hey, they need.
2: Can, can I uh I I think we should probably be working towards a round off now, but I got the most huge error on screen that I've I think I've ever seen in a movie just in terms of a continuity fuck up. Um I wonder if you saw it as well. It
3: involves a gun. Uh is it the painting of the bubble gun? Nah. Is orange and pink. No, not, and then none it's of that is way, way more obvious. Okay, what was it?
2: Way more obvious. Oh, yeah, that, that's bad, but this one is like insane. So at the start of the movie, when we're introduced to Alex at the star, and we need to learn that he's a mischievous little boy with some tech now, he, <laughs> first of all, because like, he, he picks up a handgun I think this happens before we see the rifle He picks up a handgun that's in like a gun case And we're like why the fuck does this 8 year old have a handgun And then he shoots it at the TV And the suction cat fires onto the screen you're like oh okay It's a, toy, a very convincing looking onto toy Onto an the ass
3: 90s. No less Yeah
2: onto an ass As is John Hughes uh, way Then he pulls out a rifle And when he pulls it okay, I think that one's out of a gun case as well But either way he wields it and it, it looks like a black assault rifle. It's fucking terrifying. And then when he puts it to his eye, it transforms... And this is in the very next shot. It is a remote TV remote control strapped to a steel pipe.
3: Oh. Um, okay, I know what you're talking about. I believe that to be a slug gun. Uh, And yeah, I, I've also spotted the continuity, but we are to believe that in the time between him picking up the initial rifle and using the scope for the remote control that he Mm. has somehow removed the rifle and attached the scope to a remote like i i've noticed it but forgiven it
2: oh so because it's in the next shot so that confused me so what he so he's just looking at the through the scope that was on the gun and he's tied the remote to it
3: yeah we, okay, we, well, that's
2: just bad editing, but that's not as yeah, bad yeah. as I thought it was. We later
3: do see him using the the remote with the scope like multiple times. In fact, that is probably a good place to leave it and get excited for our next screening, Tim, because there was a lot of stuff I wrote down that we didn't get to today uh, in the world Save of it. tech in Home Alone 3. Um, there's a lot of really exciting stuff that they were using and stuff that I'd love to get your opinion on. Um, so perhaps our next episode well, could be the tech special. Where sure thing Where we sort of explore like, the exciting world of gadgets
2: 100% I would love that, I would love nothing more As we round off this episode I would like everyone to raise a glass Whatever you've got in front of you um, To Mrs Hess and her sexual exploits Absolutely. May they be Fulfilling And mutually Enjoyable For all parties
3: Absolutely, pour some out for Well actually don't pour some out Put Put some in for the fantastic Mrs. Hess Because one thing we do all say is Oh well never have I ever Seen an ass so better than magical Mrs. Hess's booty Almost works. We'll see you next time <laughs> Go fuck yourselves Wash your hands <laughs> That's
2: what leaving is I've only done that, I, there's only one live show I can remember that I've done that to, and it was the uh, Green Day musical.
3: Oh, man. That, I would have loved to have been that with you, Tim. Um, dude, it was insane.
2: <laughs> it was wild.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.